through 40. Apologize in advance for my voice. This is what it is. In 1 Samuel 17, verses 32 through 40, we read these words. David said to Saul, Let no one lose heart on account of this Philistine. Your servant will go and fight him. Saul replied, You are not able to go out against the Philistine and fight him. You are only a young man, and he has been a warrior from his youth. But David said to Saul, Your servant has been keeping his father's sheep. When a lion or a bear came and carried off a sheep of the flock, I went after it, struck it, rescued the sheep from its mouth. When it turned to me, I seized it by the hair, struck it, and killed it. Your servant has killed both the lion and the bear. This uncircumcised Philistine will be like one of them because he has defied the armies of the living God. The Lord who rescued me from the paw of the lion and the paw of the bear will rescue me from the hand of this Philistine. Saul said to David, Go, and the Lord be with you. Then Saul dressed David in his own tunic. He put on a coat of armor on him and a bronze helmet on his head. David fastened on his sword over the tunic and tried walking around because he was not used to them. I cannot go in these, he said to Saul, because I am not used to them. So he took them off. Then he took his staff in his hand, chose five smooth stones from the stream, put them in the pouch of his shepherd's bag, and with his sling in his hand, he approached the Philistine. May God add his blessing to the reading of his word. We know that David was chosen by God even though he was an unlikely choice. And with God's help, he defeats Goliath in a battle with only five smooth stones and a sling. That was it. There were certain things about David that did make his effort successful, though. And if we can understand what David did, I think we can be better equipped to defeat the giants in our life as well. Will you pray with me? Heavenly Father, Lord, we we please ask for help. I personally ask that you help me take my eyes off everyone else and simply focus on what you've already given me to work with. Give me faith, give me courage, and please help me to have a victory as I come to this next week, I pray for those who are here that you give them faith, give them courage, and please give them victory as they head into this week as well. We pray in your holy name. Amen. Well, hello, church family. I'm excited that you decided to join us again. Of course, this is the third week of this study, Five Smooth Stones. Uh, as you can see, we're, we're talking about David and Goliath, and then this week, through this series, we focused on different things about that story, different focuses, different uh, illustrations, different ideas. And so we come to this week. Because it is a well-known story, I think sometimes we pass over it thinking that we know it. But each week we unpack something, something that we may not have thought of before. Today, I think we land in the story that actually mentions uh, the five smooth stones actually mentions what David got to do his work with. There is an important, I think, overarching concept that we have to learn today, and it's this. God wants you to use what you have. 
Think about that again. God wants you to use what you have. You can think about it that way because he put what you have in your hands. I read a story about Jim Knight. All Jim Knight had was a wrench. That's all he had. And yet God used him to bless uncountable numbers of underprivileged people because he finally discovered what he had in his hands. For the longest time, he didn't really think about what he had. He would make excuses that he didn't have the right tools. He didn't have the right skills. He didn't have the right personality to do something churchy. He would say this, I just, I just work down at the GM dealership and fix cars. That's all I do. One sermon series, a pastor was trying to get people challenged to do something for the Lord that they hadn't thought of before. And Jim made his normal excuse, well, I, all I got is a wrench. And the pastor said, well, I'll tell you what you can do. What, what if you and a couple other guys got together once a month or something and worked on cars for, for single women in the church who don't have somebody to work on their car? He said, right, we could do that. And so they started to work on cars. Soon his team was servicing over 20 cars a month for the people in his church. And then it led that they said, well, you know, we could buy an old wreck and fix it up. And for those families who don't have transportation, we could give it to them. And they started doing that. And then ultimately it led to, you know, it's not the only tool I could use. I could swing a hammer too. And then they started fixing houses up for people in the same situation. From only saying, I don't have anything but a wrench, to blessing people in his community because he looked to see what was in his hand. I think if you and I are anywhere alike, there are times that it's tempting to look at other people and say they have more than I have. They have more skills or abilities or they can do that when I can't do that myself. I think it's enticing to think that if you had a better paying job, if you lived in a different zip code, if you had a bigger house, if, if you had maybe a different education, things would be different for you and you could do something for the Lord. I'm grateful that that's not what David said when he approached Goliath. Because I think this condition, that idea, is not a unique one. I think many people feel the same way. That maybe if, if things were different, I could do more. the Lord and yet we learn today from this passage that that human condition goes back hundreds of years even to the part where the the people who were standing by David were looking going I'm afraid to do anything because of what I see ahead of me you have this passage of scripture we want to look at it and unpack it, like I said this week, to see what it is that God would have us discover from the story of David and Goliath. But I want to go to a passage of Scripture that's not David and Goliath. If you have your Bible or you can read behind me, look at 1 Corinthians 12, verses 4 through 11. 1 Corinthians 4 says, There are different kinds of gifts, but the same Spirit distributes them There are different kinds of service, but the same Lord. There are different kinds of working, but all of them and in everyone, it is the same God at work. Now, each of us, uh, each one, the manifestation of the Spirit, is given for the common good. 
To the one is given through the Spirit a message of wisdom. To another, a message of knowledge by the means of the same Spirit. To another, faith by the same Spirit. To another, gifts of healing by that one Spirit. To another, miraculous powers. To another, prophecy. To another, distinguishing between spirits. To another, speaking different kinds of tongues. And still to another one, interpretation of tongues. All these are the work of the one and the same Spirit. And he distributes to them each one as he determines. When you look at that passage of Scripture, the, the Bible makes it clear that God has given to all of his people differing gifts, differing abilities, differing ways to use their gifts within the church. And it's the Holy Spirit that helps us to see what those gifts are and to learn how to use those and incorporate those into the life of the church in which we live. And, and how it is that God is trying to get us to use them in blessing the world as a whole. How differently do you think the story of David and Goliath would be if David spent his time envying the people that were around him? I mean, look at him. His brothers were bigger than he was. The soldiers were better trained than he was. They had armor when he didn't have armor. He could look at all that they had and envy them for what they had instead of what he had. He could look around and see the physical strength of Goliath and go, I'm not as strong as he is. And he could have been like the other soldiers who said, there's no way I can fight him and back up in fear and depression. Yet David didn't. He focused on what he had. He looked around and saw what was available for him to use. And in this case, it was five smooth stones and a sling. I want us to, again, look at this. When we look at 1 Samuel 17, 32, and through the rest of the story, even in through 51, I think we see there's a lot going on. But there are three specific things that I want us to look at today. I want us to highlight these this morning in regard to the fight of David and Goliath. I believe that each of these are crucial in our own lives as we seek to understand the call and the will and the giftedness that God has given each one of us who is here today. First of all, we need to block out the white noise. We need to block out the white noise. At the beginning of the passage, David declares that he is indeed going to go fight Goliath. He's decided if nobody else is going to do it, I'm going to do it. I'm not going to let this uncircumcised Philistine defy the armies of God. Somebody needs to fight him. And yet, here's how Saul responds. You are not able to go out against the Philistine and fight him. You are only a young man, and he has been a warrior from his youth. Sounds like a voice that wanted to hold him back, right? A voice that says, you can't do this. How many times have people said that to you? It's not possible. You can't. We can't. We can't go that direction. We can't spin that. We can't do this. There are times in our lives where we hear those voices like Saul saying, we can't. Last week we looked at David and we talked about him. We read from 1 Timothy, not to be looked down upon. Don't let someone look down upon you or, or hold you down. I think there are many in our lives, regardless of whatever we do, 
that try to keep us from going forward. Maybe it's their own fear. They're afraid if you do something, it'll be seen as I didn't do anything. And they try to hold you back as well. I think this often comes from maybe a, a, a fear, but certainly doubt. They look around and try to calculate what can be done and decide that it can't be done, and so nobody should surely be able to do it, and that includes you. And so they, like Saul, dissuade you from trying to do something for the Lord. Saul looked down on David, and he said specifically because of his youth. And so what is David supposed to do with all that? His brothers didn't want him there. They talked down to him. Others simply ignored him when he was standing there asking his questions. And Saul doesn't think he has any chance. And so what David does is he blocks out that white noise in the midst of God's clear command. Maybe you don't understand that. Let me give you a definition of what I mean by white noise. Dictionary defines it as a type of noise that is produced by a combination of sounds of all different frequencies. Imagine all of it's coming at you at once, and it's hard to pick out one sound because everything's coming at you. I think, in a spiritual sense, that there are many voices around us that are begging, if you will, for our airtime. There are channels. Can you imagine if you turned on your television and you went to one channel and one channel, you flipped to this channel? What if you turned on your television and every channel played all at once? The cacophony of sounds and would drive you crazy. I think that's what's happening for us. We get bogged down sometimes and overwhelmed because of all the voices that are coming in suggesting what we should or should not do. I think that's why it's important to do what can be called as learn and discern the voice of God. We need to hear the voice of God. We need to sort out, sort out the voice of God in the midst of all that white noise that we hear all around us every day. How do you do that? I, I think you ask yourself some questions. As you begin to think about the voices around you, as you try to deal with cutting through the white noise, we can ask ourselves some questions. I think the first question we can ask is this. Does this voice actually care for me? Is the voice of the person who's talking to me really care about me? Why should I take advice from someone who I would not give or ask advice from? Do I care what they say? Do I care what they think? Do I, do I really, do they care for me? And if they care for me, then maybe I, I can listen to them and see what they have. But if, if they don't care for me, they just want to argue or talk down to me, maybe I don't need to listen. I think the second thing we can do is ask if it's a godly voice. Is this a voice that's asking me to do something godly? Is this a voice that's directing me in the way that I know the Bible directs me to do? Thirdly, does this voice hold wisdom? Or is it just an opinion from someone? Is it, is it wisdom from God? Can I go to the Bible and go, yes, this matches up what God's word says. I can understand how that would work in my life. Or is it a voice that just merely says, well, here's what I think. 
Is that really a voice I need to listen to? It's questions like these, I think, that help us to discern the voice of God in the midst of all that white noise and to listen and to trust to what he says. Isn't that what the Bible tells us to do when we, we rightly divide the word of truth? We seek out the truth in what is there. I think we do the same thing when we cut through that white noise. I think in David's life and in this story, it's clear that the next verse... David was able to shake off the white noise and the doubt. He was able to hear what Saul said and everyone else said, by the way, that they looked at them. And he stayed focused on what God was asking him to do, inviting him to do. In 1 Samuel 17, 34 through 36, he says, But David said to Saul, Your servant has been keeping his father's sheep. When a lion or a bear came and carried off a sheep in the flock, I went after it, struck it. And rescue the sheep from his mouth. And when it turned on me, I seized it by its hair, struck it, and killed it. Your servant has killed both lion and the bear. This uncircumcised Philistine will be like one of them because he has defied the armies of the living God. When I hear those words, can't you hear confidence in them? I will go and do this. I know I can do this. I have the skills to do this. There was confidence in that. David was focused on the task at hand, and I think his confidence gave other people confidence. I think it began to change the way that they thought about this issue, this giant that was before them. See, David's bravado was not just that. David's bravado was based on experience. I've met people who had a lot of opinions about what should and couldn't get done. And when you ask them, had they ever done it before? Oh, I've done anything like that. (laughs) Why should we do it if you've never tried it or have no experience in this? I mean, it's one thing to try something new, but it's quite another to face the giant and not know what you're doing. But David knew what he was doing. He had seen God deliver him from time after time against various beasts various giants if you will and he had no doubt that God would do it again in this situation I think that leads us to the second thing I want you to see today uh, and it's this remember where you've been remember where you've been there's so many stories in the Bible of individuals being prepared for what was their future by a present circumstance even sometimes suffering When you look at the Bible, take Joseph, for example. In Genesis, he was falsely imprisoned, accused of something he didn't do. He was in a foreign land and ended up in an Egyptian palace. (laughs) How did he go from the jail to the palace? God. And God used that experience to prepare him. God was clearly on the move throughout Joseph's story. It's obvious that God was in the background orchestrating what would happen. Yes, even the suffering, even God used that. Joseph's story, whether you see it or not, was one in which God was preparing him for what he was going to do. In fact, I think it concludes with some powerful words we need to hear this morning as we think of what Joseph went through. In Genesis 50, 19 through 20, we read these words, but Joseph said to them, don't be afraid. Am I in the place of God? You intended to harm me, 
But God intended it for good to accomplish what is now being done, the saving of many lives. Wow. What powerful words from a man who went through the suffering, who, who went through something that people wanted to be a bad thing for him. And yet he saw God in the midst of it. God was with Joseph all along, just like he is now in this passage with David. All along, God was with him. And the reality is the same for you today. God is with you. Whatever you're going through right now, whatever experience you're, you're going through, whatever giant circumstance, problem, issue, God is preparing you for something better. I think today it may be the first step for you to learning that God can be called upon in your life by looking backwards and seeing what he's already done for you. There's consistent command in the scripture. If you look in the Old Testament and it's this, remember, remember, remember what the Lord did. Remember how he delivered us. Remember how he fed us. Remember where he led us. That word is used over and over again in the Old Testament to direct the people of God to a forward position. Look back first and remember what God has done, and we can look forward and accomplish many great things for him. If you read in Deuteronomy chapter 8, verse 2, the Bible says, Remember how the Lord your God led you to all the way through the wilderness these 40 years to humble and to test in order to know what was in your heart, whether or not you would keep his commandments remembering where we have been is meant to give us strength and courage. That's what God wants. He wants to remind us that he's been with us and he's with us now. Seeing God at work in our past lives, I believe, gives us that strength and confidence in whatever we face today, whatever issue you're going through. And as was stated, that confidence in David in verse 37 when he says this, The Lord who rescued me from the paw of the lion and the paw of the bear will rescue me from the hand of this Philistine. What David held in his hands and in his heart was the collective memory of what God had done. I wonder as he picked up those stones, he said, this is just like that bear. Picked up another one. This is just like that lion. He picked up another one, and he remembered another thing that God had done. And he picked up another one, and he picked up the fifth one. And I wonder if the stones that he held in his hands were those that reminded him of all the times that God had been with him before when he needed him. Before he ever picked up the stones and the sling, he carried the memory of God's deliverance. God delivered me from the paw of the lion and the bear, and he'll deliver me from this Philistine. So when you see Saul try to weigh him down in his new armor and sword, David would have none of it. I think it leads us to the third thing we want to unpack today, and it's this. All that he needed. All that he needed. Look at 1 Samuel 17, verses 38 through 40 with me. Then Saul dressed David in his own tunic, and he put a coat of armor on him and a bronze helmet on his head. And David fastened a sword over his tunic and tried walking around because he was not used to them. I cannot, he says, go in these, he said to Saul, because I am not used to them. So he took them off. 
Then he took his staff in his hand, chose five smooth stones from the stream, put them in his pouch, in his shepherd's bag, and with a sling in his hand, he approached the Philistine. I love how this text shows David trying to fit in the mold of a proper soldier. Fitted with a helmet, he's got this armor on, he's got his sword, and he walks around trying to, to be a soldier. Thankfully, he quickly recognized this outfit was not going to work. This outfit didn't fit him. It wouldn't work for him. He wasn't going to be able to go into the battle and do what he needed to do with this encumbrance of other people's issues on top of him. You can't do this. You need this stuff to do what you're doing. He didn't need all that extra stuff. As a matter of fact, it hindered him. I remember our children as they were growing up. It happened. It happens in your house. They try on your clothes. Remember? They'd see your shirt or maybe your pants. Uh, the shoes are the things that I remember. The, the little girls putting their feet in, in my shoes or Teresa's shoes and then clopping around in the house trying to walk inside those shoes. It's cute to look at. It's funny to see, but it's ineffective, isn't it? They couldn't run in our shoes. They couldn't do what they climb in our shoes. Our shoes were an encumbrance for them. Our shoes didn't fit them, and they could not get the job done that they needed to do as who they were. I think many of us are trying to fit into somebody else's clothes, somebody else's idea of the way things should be. I think this story, this situation helps us to better live our lives. It directs us in the fact that all that I need is in my hands. God has already provided for me. I just need to open my eyes and see what David had learned. We don't need sometimes all that other stuff that people say we need. What we need is open our eyes and see what God's already given us. In fact, all that you presently have in your possession is all you need to sufficiently serve God. I've got degrees in religion. I've got degrees from three different institutions. Do you need degrees like that to share the gospel? No, you don't. The disciples didn't. And the Bible said it was amazing to people. They were what? Ignorant and unlearned men. They still turned the world upside down because they were willing to share the gospel with the people around them. They took what they had and used it in the moment that they were. When you look at Matthew chapter 14, verses 13 through 21, you have the story of the, the feeding of the people of fishes and loaves. When the disciples began to worry about how to feed all these people, Jesus simply asked them to do what? To gather what they already had. That's where he started. Gather what they are. It, it wasn't going to town and buy all this stuff. It was gather what you already have. What do we have before us? What do we have to work with? Now, obviously in this story, Jesus performs a miracle and he feeds the thousands of people with five loaves and two fishes. But what if that's exactly what God was trying to teach us? Start with what you have. Look at what God's placed in your hands, how he's already trained you. Remember where he's led you from. What if God is trying to help you to see the miraculous things by starting where you are? 
If we never start where we are, we may never see the miraculous. Think about that. If we never start where we are, we may never see the miraculous. If we're waiting for something else to happen, the miraculous may never come. Start where you are. Use what you have. The ordinary, everyday stuff. Offer it to God and let him use that. David put aside all the extra stuff Saul had given him, and he grabbed those five smooth stones in his sling. And he added that to the faith he already had in God from what he remembered God could do. And he blocked out all that white noise from people who would talk down to him or discourage him in following God. And through that doubt and through that fear, he was led to victory. He had victory because he was willing to start where he was with what he had. All he had was all that God had already given him. As we wind down, as we think about this, I think it's powerful to start believing you already have what you need. That may be difficult for some of you. Some of you may be so used to, to negative internal discussions. I can't do that. Remember going to school and people said, can't, never did anything? I remember, I can't, I can't, never did anything. You know what? That's pretty biblical. <laughs> because I can do all things, can't I? Through Jesus who strengthens me. I have the ability because he's already placed within me so much. He's given me gifts. He's given me his spirit. He's given me wisdom. He's given me the ability to contact him and ask for help. I have in my hands already what I already need. There are a lot of us here today who feel trapped in an endless loop of white noise, people talking down at us or at us, uh, telling us things can't happen or won't happen or shouldn't happen. We need to listen to the voice from God. Those voices, too many options, too many experiences, too much regret needs to be dropped away and let go. For us to confidently move ahead, and seize all that God has placed in our hands right now. If that sounds like you today, I I encourage you to do all you can to shut out all the other voices, sometimes even that negative voice inside yourself, and listen for that godly voice from God. Try to have, like David did, a singular focus. We would say a laser focus on what God is trying to do in his power and his majesty through you, just like he did with David. Try to become a person after God's very own heart, like David was. Also, I think others of you have simply forgotten that God has done a lot in your past. You talk to Jim about what has been accomplished in the past and what you remember and what people have done and the people that have gone on before us. We cannot forget that. Maybe what you need to do this week is sit down and write that all down. And think about the situations that have happened all through your life, how God got you out of a situation or or how even without you knowing God delivered you when you could have been so much worse. And write out all the things that God has done and how he's helped you. And, and begin to look at that and think about that and develop on that. Your, your testimony is your superpower. 
There are a lot of superhero movies today, right? There's always a movie about some superhero with some super special power or knowledge. I can see through things. I have super strength. I can do this or that. You know, your, your power is your testimony. Here's how God delivered me. And it's that testimony that changes people. Peter stood up in the midst of thousands and shared his testimony of what God had done, and thousands were saved. Your testimony is your superpower. Don't ever forget that. I think lastly what we need to see is we need to stop looking at everything and everyone else and what they have access to. I can't compare this church to another church. I've been a lot of churches, and each one of them is different. Each one of them has a different gift. Each one of them had different ability and different people in that church, and it is that focus on what God has given us that helps us to sort through the giants in our life. You have gifts that are individual and unique to you. Maybe it's time you pick them up. And put them in your bag like David did and turn your head toward a victory that God wants for you. All you have, you already need. The Golden Gate Bridge was built during 1933 and 1937. During the first half of the construction of the bridge, Approximately 12 people died. They fell from the structure, falling 700 feet to the water below. It was so devastating that construction was halted, trying to figure out what they could do. They know they needed to build a bridge. There was no, uh, this is what we're here for. Finally, somebody came up with the idea that what we can do is put a net underneath the bridge, a safety net. They did. It cost hundreds of thousands of dollars. It would be millions of dollars in our money today. And then they went on with the finish to construct the bridge. In the last half of the time that they built the bridge, six people fell. Not 12, six. You would think that putting a net under them would give them a sense, well, I don't have to worry about anything, but it gave them confidence. They, they did not get lax. They, they did not see the thing as something to be sloppy. But the net under them gave them a sense of confidence that they could do and complete the work. It made them more confident. Below you and I today is a safety net. It's God's grace. He holds us. He protects us. He'll never leave us. He'll never let us go. And it should give us the confidence that David had that we won't be careless about what we do, but we'll be confident in what we do because God has given us what we need to do the job. Will you pray with me? Heavenly Father, all around us are voices today, voices that call us, distract us, and, and dissuade us from following you, tell us we're silly for believing in you. Or maybe they say, how do you know God is there, and try to put doubt in our minds. 
or maybe even the godly people that are around us say, well, we can't do that. We don't have, and then they fill in the blank of whatever it is we don't have. And yet, within our hearts, we feel you leading us, God, to do things. I pray today that we would block out that noise, that white noise. That we would recognize that we have within our hands everything we need. That we remember where we have been and that you've been with us all the time. Lord, we look forward to victory. This week, may we take the time to write down the things that you have done for us in the past and use that as our five stones to step ahead and seek victory for you. We ask it in Jesus' holy name. Amen.